match burns roughly eight seconds. A life lasts roughly 80 years. Here one moment and gone the next. If you're smart, you'll use that time wisely. Hello, everyone. We kicked off this sermon series with a quote from Pastor Derek's seminary prof. If the Bible were a party, Ecclesiastes would be the party pooper. <laughs> now, if your glass is generally half empty, you're going to really love this book. But if your glass is generally half full, well, I just ask you to hang in there. I believe it's essential for us to work through this Old Testament wisdom book because it's asking essential questions like, What's the point of living life? What's the point of trying to be wise? What's the point of working hard? What's the point of striving for better? What's the point? Last week, we learned that we must own our weariness. Life can leave us aching and grasping and searching for answers. And that's the tone and the journey of Ecclesiastes. It's beat down. It's wondering, what's the point? The beauty of Ecclesiastes is that we don't have to pretend life is sunshine and roses. We can own the weariness. And the beauty of the whole story of the Bible is that in that weariness, we are not without hope. Ecclesiastes will give us the barest glimpse of that hope. And through this series, we're going to both sit in our weariness and look for that hope. Now, in January of 2020, I started a new Bible read-through plan. I would read through the Old Testament once, the New Testament, and the Psalms twice before the end of the year. It was a big task. And by the end of March, I found that I had lots of extra time in my chair for that big task. Now, around mid-April, I began to read Ecclesiastes, and I was so struck by the tone and by the words and by the weight and the weariness, and the timing was uncanny, right? Pandemic, lockdown, unprecedented global fear and grief, circumstances beyond our control. We were reduced to living within the walls of our homes and wondering what was going on. And all around social media and news outlets, politicians, health officials, everyone was searching for answers, grasping for something certain. And again and again, COVID left us holding on to life's hevel. Derek introduced us to that word last week. Hevel is translated as vanity or meaningless, but the most literal translation might be smoke or vapor. Even the wisest among us seem to be left holding nothing but vapor. And two years later, we've certainly gained some knowledge, but what about wisdom? Every culture and every time has sought to find certainty and wisdom. We're left with great literary works that reveal as much, but perhaps more easily recognized are the wisdom sayings that are passed on. As one generation grapples to make sense of the world around them, they pass on what seems to be their best wisdom. And we hear and we use these all the time. Generally, we call them proverbs. Here's a few common ones from our culture. Haste makes waste. Actions speak louder than words. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Laughter is the best medicine. And let's throw in a few biblical ones from the book of Proverbs. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like foliage. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Train up a child in the way he should go. and Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Wouldn't it be so awesome if these proverbs were guaranteed? 
Like an if-then statement. If everyone would just eat an apple a day and have a good belly laugh, then COVID would stay away. But we know that's not true. And crime doesn't pay, except when it does, and love is blind unless it doesn't like what it sees, and you snooze, you lose, except that we have to sleep sometime, and practice makes perfect, unless you're tone deaf and then no amount of practice will gain you an audience. Do you see what I mean? Children rebel in spite of great parenting. Evil men amass wealth and power and well-laid plans fail. In your own life, you're trying your best. You're working hard. You're doing all the right, wise, and good things. You're going to counseling or rehab. You're reading books. You're listening to podcasts, attending training, whatever it is. And the hope is that if I do X, then I will be a better worker, a better student, a better friend, a better parent, a better spouse. So why? Why do we still seem to be coming up short and facing crises? We're stressed and anxious and overwhelmed, and you're in over your head in so many areas of life. We want to be like Proverbs 9.9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Or 24.5. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. But the course of our lives just doesn't play out like a well-written piece of wisdom literature. Because wisdom literature is not about promises and guarantees. Rather, Proverbs are the way life generally goes, but they're not guaranteed outcomes. Proverbs are general, but not universal. Proverbs are usually ordinarily true, but Proverbs are certainly not absolutes. We cannot bank on them completely. And this feels like a glitch in the system. I want these things to be certain and true. But when I look at the world and my own life experience, I realize that they aren't always certain and true. I hear this echoed in Psalm 73. Asaph, the author, says it like this, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now at the outset here, he's trying to assert what he thinks should be true and certain, but then he moves into how disoriented he feels by his actual experience of the world. Listen, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. But when I thought to un how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Asaph doesn't end the psalm there. And he moves toward a true and certain conclusion, but we're not there yet. So we're going to sit in the disorientation for a while because that's where Ecclesiastes is. It's almost like the author of Ecclesiastes read the book of Proverbs and set out to see if they were guaranteed promises for how life works. And what he discovered left him completely disoriented, almost disenchanted. We'll see him wrestle with these glitches in the system, these enigmas of life under the sun that just don't make sense. And that's what we're doing here this summer. We're jumping into Ecclesiastes on a quest. We're asking, what's the point? And we're searching out an understanding of wisdom and work and time and pleasure and life because these reflections were written down for us and they're part of God's word. And so we get to go with the author as his ideas are dismantled, even deconstructed. And we're going to look at how this quest and his conclusions stand in light of the whole revelation of God's word. And so today, we're going on a quest for wisdom. So let's begin in Ecclesiastes 1, starting in verse 12. 
I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Remember, the preacher is Koheleth in Hebrew, and so we're calling him And here he's giving us an overview of his quest for wisdom. Look a little closer at verse 13 for a minute. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Q applied his heart to seek and to search. And so we know his quest is both earnest and comprehensive. And as we'll see him do throughout this whole book, Q goes all in. In fact, the word that he uses here, seek, means something like reconnaissance. This brings two things to mind for me. First, I cannot help but think about the beginning of the first Toy Story movie when Woody deploys the army guys on a reconnaissance mission of the birthday party downstairs, right? So that they will know what new toys are being unwrapped. Pixar had me hooked from that moment. Second, from the Bible, do you remember the 12 spies that Moses sent out? Following the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites were in the wilderness and they're on the way to the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies on a reconnaissance mission to search out the place that would be their home. Now, the same word for that mission is the word that Q uses here. He's taking this quest very seriously. Q's going to go down all the paths of conventional wisdom and understanding. We'll also see him veer off down some untried avenues. And also, let's not forget that Q's mission is entirely under heaven or under the sun. He's going to use those phrases 28 times before he's done with this quest. And it's critical that we understand that Q is searching high and low here on this earth. Q's perspective is not transcendent. Think about it. From our vantage point under the sun, we cannot see all things. We can't see what's on the other side of the ocean, right? When you stand on the shore, it looks like the world is flat. We can't see what happened in this room yesterday or what will happen tomorrow. We're limited by space and we're limited by time and we're limited by our finite minds. And so we're limited to what I want to call a valley view. Q cannot see beyond this valley. He cannot see beyond the horizon. He's under the sun. Look at the second half of verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Spoiler alert. What Q has found on his quest isn't all good news. The SV translation of the Hebrew uses the phrase unhappy business. Other translations say a heavy burden, tragic existence, sorry task, grievous task, miserable task, painful occupation, miserable fate, bad business, and my favorite, a sore travail. Listen to the Amplified Bible. And I set my mind to seek and explore by man's wisdom all human activity that has been done under heaven. It is a miserable business and a burdensome task which God has given the sons of men with which to be busy and distress. Hmm. Q realizes that his quest has been a miserable one. It's a preoccupation and a burden. Trying to understand life has left him restless and struggling to find any enjoyment. He's weary. It's become this obsession, this effort to grasp and understand what's happening under the sun. And I wonder, I wonder if this isn't the burden for all of us. 
if this isn't part of the curse connected to the fall in Genesis 3. Do you remember? Satan tempted Eve to doubt that what God had given her and Adam was enough. He tempted her with more, that eating from that tree of knowledge would satisfy something that she actually didn't lack. And Adam and Eve and all of us since we've been cursed with this insatiable desire to know and understand that which cannot be fully known and understood by our finite created minds. And as we'll see, this quest will leave Q miserable and it's going to leave us miserable as well, except that there is hope. And that's our big idea today. Infinite wisdom is beyond you, but within him. Now you're going to have to stick with me all the way to the end today to get to that hope. I want us to wrestle with the hard things, but I don't want to leave us as miserable as Q. So bear with me as we make three stops on Q's quest for wisdom. These stops are like the hypotheses of a good scientific experiment. Based on common knowledge, these things should be true, right? Well, let's see what Q discovers. So Q's first stop, his first hypothesis. Surely to be wise is better than to be foolish or wicked. Go ahead and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Overall, Q finds that there are more advantages in wisdom than foolishness. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he'll mention in these advantages a, a good name, success with money, joy and prosperity and adversity, making good decisions, a calm demeanor, favor. I think we can nod our heads and agree with Q here. Yes, wisdom is better than foolishness. And yet, he also finds that wisdom ultimately fails him. In the end, Q and his wisdom will die, just like the fool and his foolishness. The final fate of Q's life, of all of our lives, will be death, whether we're wise or foolish, and even more disheartening, while still living, Q sees that wisdom doesn't always rise above. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Even where people work for justice and good, there's no fail-safe formula for life and wisdom. Practical wisdom is of some value, absolutely, but is not a guarantee of success. Life's risky, and those risks can never be entirely eliminated under the sun. I know you've experienced this. A financial advisor gives you wise advice, but a recession upends your carefully made plans. Might as well not have saved those pennies. You mask, you get vaccinated, you get boosted, you avoid the crowds, and yet still somehow you've got COVID. And you've missed out on time with family and friends and you're sick. It's so discouraging. You worked hard for good grades. You joined the right clubs. You served the community and you still didn't get into the university you wanted. So why didn't you just spend more time having fun? You were the proverbial early bird. You didn't get that darn worm. Might as well just sleep in next time. Infinite wisdom is beyond you. So what do we do with this inconsistency in our world? I mean, what's the point of being wise? Great question. 
and not one that Q is ready to answer. He's gonna leave us wrestling, saying, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he's gonna continue on his quest. So here's Q's second stop on the quest for wisdom, his second hypothesis. Surely wisdom can understand the times and the seasons. Now this takes us to probably the most well-known passage from the book. The birds even wrote a song, remember? Turn, turn, turn. So look at Ecclesiastes 3 with me. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This passage is usually understood to mean that there are appropriate moments for everything and every action and that even an objectionable situation or season can be beautiful in its own way. In other words, we generally interpret this through the lens of human determination and personal agency, individual discernment and choice. And in that sense, it seems like such a beautiful poem. But this isn't the Psalms, this is Q. So a little less Jane Austen, a little more Bronte sisters, less Toy Story and more Beetlejuice. And surprise, surprise, the message here is actually fairly bleak. In the context of his quest for wisdom, Q is pointing out that times and seasons are not about our decisions or our actions. Rather, they're about God's activity in this world and our response to his work. Q doesn't come close to exhausting the list of activities and events we face, but his list represents a whole slew of examples of seasons and situations in life in which we have some, but not ultimate, control. Look at that list. Birth, death, love, war, gain, loss. Q's list is a reminder that we don't choose these things or their timing that happen, ready or not, and we are left to respond as best as we can. Here's Q in chapter nine. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. For man does not know his time. From our vantage point under the sun, we cannot see all of time or circumstance. Our brains just aren't big enough. God alone is above and in control of time and eternity, but here's what we do. We work really hard to try to understand everything so that we can be prepared for every eventuality and every season. So you can follow the news cycle, you stay on top of world events, you follow brilliant thinkers, you listen to your favorite celebrities' opinions. We're all different, but we all have something we want to be knowledgeable in, something we want to be really good at, some area of life that we want to be super smart in except it doesn't work, right? You graduate from college and you realize you don't know nearly as much as you thought you did. You finally land your dream job only to realize that it's missing parts of the dream. You get married to your dream boat and your happily ever after becomes happiness once in a while. You buy your dream house and the furnace quits working on the coldest day of the year. We want it all and we go to great lengths to earn and achieve, learn and plan to have it. And just when it's within our reach, it's heavily it's vapor, it vanishes. And that's what Q is talking about. And I think we should listen. Under the sun, all our striving will be after wind, for infinite wisdom is beyond us. But Q 
Hugh gives us just the barest glimpse of hope here. He says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Unlike us, God is sovereign and transcendent. He's outside space and time. He determines and we don't understand, but we can trust that he will take care of what has been driven away. These are the things that are beyond our grasp, like why our best laid plans go awry or why the small business owner who tries to make all the right decisions finds himself bankrupt or why someone choosing a healthy lifestyle is diagnosed with a rare disease or why your neighbor who's so generous is treated so badly by her kids. Q is not giving us the answers to these enigmas. His wisdom is failing him, but he's hoping that through the inf- that though infinite wisdom is beyond him, it's within God. Now, Q is not satisfied, so he's going to continue his quest for wisdom. And if you follow the reading plan on Version, and I encourage you to find it by searching Who is Grace in the app, you'll read every word of Ecclesiastes, and you'll find Q looking high and low for wisdom in justice, in work, in loneliness, in companionship, power, oppression, wealth, the future, youth, old age, and more. For right now, though, we've got to move on. And so here's Q's third stop, his third hypothesis on his quest for wisdom. Surely a wise man is remembered. Let's read Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. This is an interesting little story that Q tells. It's a tale of a little city and a few men versus a great king and his great siege works. And that little city should be doomed, except that a poor wise man is the hero of the day and saves his little city. It turns out that neither the king nor his siege works were as great as the wisdom of that poor man. I mean, songs should be written about this guy and paintings commissioned and stories told from generation to generation. And yet, somehow, the heroic poor man and his great wisdom, they're forgotten. I mean, how's that possible? How's it possible that the pharaohs of Egypt could have forgotten that Joseph's wise planning saved them from great famine and death? How's it possible that the Israelites could have forgotten how God wisely achieved their great rescue from slavery in Egypt? How's it possible that your company could forget how you contributed to their success? How could your kids forget all you did for them? How could they forget? How could we? And yet forget they did and forget we do. And though that is so depressing... Q offers his commentary on the forgotten wise man's story. In verse 16, he says, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Can you hear Q's big sigh there? (sighs) I mean, I guess wisdom is better. It does have some value. Like a consolation prize. You participated in life. Hurrah. And that's it. This brings a depressing end to Q's hypotheses. Surely to be wise is better than to be foolish or wicked. Surely wisdom can understand the times and seasons. Surely a wise man or woman is remembered. Q wraps up his quest for wisdom with his conclusion. Wisdom will only take you so far before you hit a dead end. Q says this in chapter 7, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, 
very deep, who can find it out. All that work, all that dedication and time and effort striving only to be left grasping the vapor. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Infinite wisdom is beyond us. If I stopped us there, it would be a depressing end to this day. But I promise that if you stuck it out, we would find the hope. And there is hope. Remember, Q's perspective is under the sun. He's got that valley view on life. He's a man of the BC. And we, we are a people of the AD, of the new covenant. And so we feel the angst of Q's quest and the despair of his journey because we live in the same broken world. Because we've experienced all of that. We've experienced exhaustion and we are weary. But we don't have to resign ourselves to the hevel, to the vapor, for we know that there is a true conclusion. The Old Testament prophets hinted at it again and again. They say this about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even Q reveals some hope. In Ecclesiastes 7, he says, Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It's good that you should take hold of this and from that not withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. But it's the prophet Isaiah that points forward to the great hope that's revealed in the birth, the life, death, and resurrection of a Savior. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Remember the big idea. Infinite wisdom is beyond you, but within him. Just as the spirit of the Lord rested upon Jesus, he lives in you. That same spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might of knowledge and fear of the Lord, the spirit didn't guarantee Jesus a life of comfort and didn't give him an easy path. The spirit led Jesus to delight in God, in obedience to God, and in a wholehearted commitment to sacrifice himself for the sake of God's purpose and God's kingdom. And so when Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he looked up to the father and he saw eternity there. And that's what the fear of the Lord and the spirit of wisdom does. It draws our eyes up out of the valley of broken things under the sun and to the eternal kingdom of God. When your plans are frustrated and when you are forgotten and when your learning fails you and when you face something that is beyond understanding and when you are out of control, the spirit in you is greater than the despair of life under the sun. Your journey, your quest through this valley, it may be long and it may be hard, but keep looking up. Beyond yourself, beyond the wisdom of the world, one step at a time, one day at a time, continue the quest. The prophet Jeremiah said to a people lost in the valley, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And Jesus spoke to a crowd of people on a quest and said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And so I have just one next step for you this week. Is there a decision you need to make? Or are you in a time or a season that feels out of your control? I want to encourage you to remember that infinite wisdom, it's beyond you, but it's within him. And so will you rely on the wisdom that's found under the sun in this valley to navigate that decision in this season? Or will you raise your eyes to look for wisdom and even more hope in Jesus Christ and his word? Now at the risk of sounding like a cheesy church sign, 
wisdom under the sun or the wisdom of the sun. Choose wisely, my friends.